when you think of the your donor offspring, do you imagine them to be a certain way? Like what characteristics, if you had to dream up, you know, who they are, what what comes to mind? Do you think about that? Sometimes. I, I think it would be interesting to know if, well, one, if they look like me, that would be interesting to see what my babies could potentially look like. Uh, it would be interesting to see personality traits if they were goofy like me or if they were hard-headed or I don't know if they shared any particular interest that I had as a, a kid or even now. A former egg donor who now faces infertility and an author, Amy Klein, on her egg donor experience. This is the Pregnish Podcast. What did you know about donor eggs? Really never thought I would move on to donor eggs. I just kept that shining belief that it would work out for me. Welcome back to the Pregnish Podcast, where we tell the incredible and often stranger than fiction stories of people across the country who built their families with the help of science and technology. Third-party reproduction, egg and sperm donation, is becoming more popular as the number of singles, infertile couples, and members of the LGBT community built their families with the help of fertility treatments. The first known baby born via egg donation was in 1983 in Australia. And a year later in the U.S., a couple welcomed a baby in L.A. with the help of an egg donor. So this is relatively new technology, and it's certainly growing technology. Just a few decades old, there's still a lot we don't know about egg donation. However, what we do know is that more agencies and donors pop up every year as the demand increases, and there's a lot of interest in this category, both from intended parents, potential donors, and people born via egg donation. I'm happy to sit down today with my first guest, Michelle, who donated her eggs at 22 years old and found herself in the strange position of considering using an egg donor herself just a decade later when she experienced infertility and pregnancy loss. Before we delve into Michelle and your your whole story, can you tell us in your words, who are you? My name's Michelle. I'm from Baltimore. Um, I have been an occupational therapy assistant for uh, about seven years. Uh, I recently decided to take a career change. Uh, so uh, I actually just found out that I got accepted to nursing school. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I've been married to my husband, Greg, for about a year and a half. Um, we have been trying to have a family um, for about a year. Um, and we have been through quite a challenge uh, in doing that so far. So I'm, uh, I'm just kind of delving into uh, this world that I never thought I would really have to. And Michelle, you're now how old? I'm 33. So you're 33. So at 22, you donated. Right. So can we go back to that moment in time when you were in your early 20s and you made that decision to donate your eggs? What did you know about it at the time? What surprised you? What did you learn? Take us back. So I remember sitting in a biology class. Uh, my professor was discussing people who donate their plasma for money. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And 22-year-old Michelle was hurting financially. So I, I started looking into it and stumbled upon egg donation. And I thought, that's, that's for me. You know, <laughs> uh, how amazing would it be to be able to help a family um, have a baby. That's so amazing. So, and I can get paid for it. Sure. Sign me up. <laughs> how long was that process? So you, you were 22. How many months or 
longer did that take? Um, I think I donated um, until I was about 26 or 27. Um, so there were a few cycles that were pretty close back to back. And uh, I ended up having to use a second uh, fertility clinic. I was retired by one because I wasn't producing as many eggs as they like. So um, I started working with a, a clinic in um, in Fairfax, Virginia, and um, I was matched, I'd say, like, you know, once or twice a year. Um, and it wasn't until I started to get some side effects from um, all of the medications that I was taking that I decided to retire. Is so. that what it's called in this yeah. world, retire? Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, so what, so when you started undergoing the treatments, uh, you know, some of our listeners have gone through IVF and, of course, um, egg retrieval is part of egg donation and people going through IVF have had that step. We know how difficult hormone therapy and shots and meds can be. Uh, what surprised you about that or what was that experience like? I think what surprised me the most uh, was the effect that it had on my body. Um, I felt the biggest challenge would be how my family would would think, uh, how my friends would think, how my boyfriends at the time would think um, about going through the situation. And I felt like the physical toll was way, way bigger of a challenge than the social and emotional things that I had to go through. Well, what did you decide to do socially and emotionally? Did you confide in people about the fact that you were donating your eggs? Mm -hmm. and, so, and what did you hear back? Um, I was really surprised that my family, I, I think I told my parents and my sisters first, and they were, uh, they had no idea why I would want to do this. Um, but I think after I sat them down, talked through it, um, and I explained why I decided to do it, they were really supportive. Um, my uh, my uh, my boyfriends at the time, I, I think, were a little more hesitant um, because it does put a little bit of a strain on your relationship. There's a lot of um, physical things that, that need to be taken into consideration, a lot of um, abstinence because of the risks of having multiple pregnancies. And um, so it was it was very easy to talk about. Um, with the people that I was closest to. And what was your motivation? Of course, you mentioned financially, it was very helpful. Can you t take us back to that time? Do you remember how much you got per cycle financially? Um, um, so I think my first cycle, I got paid about $5,500. And each cycle that you complete, you get a raise. And wow. um, I think the last cycle that I got uh, upwards of $10,000, which to a college student, is a huge amount of money. Um, Absolutely. I mean, know. that's, that's pretty good money. Of course, there's another side to this, which we'll other, we'll also explore, but was there any other motivation for, for donating beyond financial? Um, I think, you know, there is, um, an intrinsic feeling to want to help people. Um, and I, I knew that I always wanted to be a mom. And I just remember thinking that if someone had told me that, I would have to ask a stranger to help me to have a baby. I would absolutely do it. I would do anything that I could. Um, I, I would be lying to say that money wasn't the biggest factor for doing that. But I think as I went through the process, the the other reasons for doing it became more prominent. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What What surprised you the most about that experience as an egg donor? 
Um, I think that um, I get a lot of people that ask me, uh, what would you do if a kid knocked on your door and said, I think you're my biological mom. Can I, can I talk to you about, you know, you and what you've been through and why you decided to do this? Um, I think that, that that's the biggest thing, uh, um, you know, that I was surprised to, to think about. And it takes a long time to really process that. Um, I, I don't think about it quite as much as I used to. Mainly I think about it around Mother's Day, Father's Day holidays, and I usually just have a little thought that, oh, I hope they're having a better day today because of something I did. Oh, that's really nice. So you're thinking of the family, mm-hmm. not just the offspring uh, right. created through your egg donation. Right. And um, what what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about egg donation that you've heard? I think that it's it's so simple. It is such a complex thing, and it's hard for a 22-year-old to really grasp what is happening. Um, and I don't think until um, I started dealing with my own fertility issues did I really grasp that. When I uh, – and I might be jumping ahead of myself, but when I delved into the fertility world, it wasn't until then that I really realized – all that those families had gone through. Mm, well, that's a good segue. <laughs> um, and I definitely want to go back to you in your 20s going through this process. But you now, today, what's been your experience of uh, building a family? So my husband and I started trying to have a family in May. And we we got pregnant right away. Um, we We always knew that we wanted to be parents. Um, so when I had my first miscarriage, it was, uh, it was shocking. It was really difficult to, to go through, but I think that we, we kind of assume that, you know, this is something normal, you know, it's, it's not unusual for people to lose their first pregnancy. Um, but I thought, okay, we can get through this. We can, we can try again. And, when our second miscarriage happened, I thought, oh, gosh, this is serious. There's got to be something wrong here. What did you imagine when you started trying to get pregnant did, and stay pregnant? Did you did you think it would be kind of easy or did yeah, you? Yeah, uh, that's what you do. You fall in love, you get married, you have kids. And I thought that uh, it wouldn't be that challenging. When you experienced your losses, did you think back to the 22-year-old self who donated her eggs and what came up for you? I did. I thought that this was my fault. This was the reason why I couldn't have a family because I used up all my good eggs and that they're all gone and I am going to have to do something else. I, I just kept blaming myself that, you know, this was just karma coming back, which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't actually I, medically make sense either, but yeah, yeah. But that's what I, I thought. It. I thought this is my fault and I don't know what we're going to do. So was there, a, um, that must be so hard. Was there a moment of wondering if your eggs were still at one of the clinics you donated to? I did reach out to them um, uh, about the same time that I started reaching out to um different social outlets and social media platforms like Pregnantish, um, I reached out to the clinics that I donated to and I just said to them, hey, I know this is a long shot, but do you still have any of my eggs? Do you still have any embryos that families would be willing to adopt out to me? 
And they said, unfortunately, no, that they can't tell me exactly what happened, whether they were donated to other families, whether they were destroyed or used for research. They they were all gone. So, so that, that leads me to a question about anonymity, because I know that with third-party reproduction, there are open situations and there are anonymous. Did you opt to be anonymous when you donated? So I was given the option. Uh, initially, I could share um, baby pictures or I could share both baby and adult pictures. I opted to do both. Then the next step was to decide whether to do open or anonymous. And I left that open to uh, the intended parents that if they wanted to have some kind of contact with me, I'd be open to that, but I would be fine with an anonymous donation too. All of them uh, decided to be anonymous, but I did get a lovely letter from a couple uh, on the day of my retrieval just telling me thank you and that they appreciated what I had gone through. But that was the only contact that I ever had with uh, intended parents. Wow. Do you still have that letter? I don't know that I do. (laughs) I think probably 22-year-old me just thought, oh, that's so cute and just move on. Yeah. And now when you think of this couple having gone through pregnancy loss and infertility, does this letter carry different weights? Yeah. What a big deal. Because I know that if I have to use an egg donor to have a family that I would just be eternally grateful. I would want to hug her and just thank her. And to me, that would be huge. Well, for for the listeners who've used third-party reproduction, egg or sperm donation, let's talk about egg donation Mm -hmm. because that's this episode. Um, How do you, uh, what, what message do you have for them? You know, as someone who donated, how many times you said seven different? So it uh, was uh, for seven different families. I did one cycle that was shared between two families. So I see six uh, cycle, six donations in total. Do you know how many eggs were Um, donated? I think the first time I got about 13 and uh, it started to go up and up, it seemed, every cycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one I did was probably about 35. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, someone in that region of Virginia or where Maryland, I don't know where, where you mm-hmm. were when you donated, but is listening and wondering, wait, could this be, could this be? Could this and be they her? saw your, their picture. Um, and I blogged at that time. And you blogged. So- Okay, so what if that person is watching or listening to this episode? Do you have any words for this person or a couple who may have benefited from your eggs? Well, I would be surprised if they wanted to hear from me because of their initial, you know, decision to have it be anonymous, but I would be curious what they'd want to know about me. I'd be curious if they had a successful pregnancy. Um and I, I'd be interested, you know, what they're like or what they look like. I think that it, it's hard for me. I feel like it's almost selfish to question those things, you know, to want to ask them things because I don't want to be intrusive in their lives. But I would – it's more of a, an interest. I'd be curious what's, what's going on in their lives and how they felt at that time, what – what got them to the point of asking a stranger to help them with something mm-hmm. that seems so biologically innate, you know? So I'd just be curious what they're like. And it's so different, I think, for listeners who don't know the world of infertility and fertility treatments. 
Um, it's so different if you're in the LGBT world or you're single and you need the help of a sperm or an egg donor. Not to say that doesn't have its own process and pain and challenges and questions. But going into that situation, you you know you need uh, the help of mm-hmm. third-party reproduction. Whereas um, for other couples who are infertile or other people who are infertile, they never imagined they wouldn't use their biology. That's a that's a slightly different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wonder as this this world, have you seen it? I mean, I've certainly seen it at Pregnantish explode in terms of the awareness the media about it, the awareness that this is happening. Did it even 11 years ago feel a little more hush-hush than today? Can you tell me about that? I think that for those people who had to use egg donors, I'm sure that it was very hush-hush. I know even from uh, friends who I know who have had to use um, egg donors and sperm donors that it's still really difficult to talk about. It it's really difficult to – it's not something you just bring up in normal conversation that, hey, this is our baby. We had to use a donor to help us have a family. Um, but I think it, it, people are a little more open because of the the education about fertility treatments. I think that that is less of a taboo topic. But uh, back when I started, I didn't know anybody else who was an egg donor. I didn't – know anybody else who had to go to a fertility clinic to have a baby. Um, you know, probably the the craziest thing that I knew about was people that had adopted a baby from uh, a foreign country. So, mm. Yeah, it's amazing that there's this entire world happening behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in it, it feels like everyone's doing it because mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes the clinics are very busy. Right. When you went into the clinic for your retrievals as an egg donor, um, did you go through a different door? I mean, I've heard these stories that you're somewhat separated from the people there uh, going mm-hmm. through fertility treatments for different reasons. I think the the retrievals were a little more um, separate. I think that they did retrievals um, maybe at a different time. I think they, I mean, logistically they would have to get the, the donor eggs first before bringing in the in- intended parents. But when I would do my daily or, you know, every other day I'd have to go in for lab work and an ultrasound. But that was at a, a satellite site where, you know, I would look around and I think it was pretty obvious most of the time who were the egg donors and who were the women um, going through fertility treatments. Because of age or Be- other factors? That and that there were couples there um, going to do the same thing, you know, getting blood drawn and having um, ultrasounds done. So when you think of, um, again, your biology is out there in the world, you've given gifts to couples or people who couldn't have otherwise had families. Um, biology does not make a family. We know that. But it's still something on people's minds today, especially with the increased genetic testing. We're all looking up our lineage lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot more uh, around that. Um, do you feel a responsibility, even though it's anonymous, to share certain things about your, your family and your sure. biology? Um, I think that, that certain health things that come up, um, certain health issues that uh, people would want to know about, you know, later in life that they might be di- predisposed to, um, that's really important um, information to know. And the clinics do typically tell you if uh, something comes up later that that develops that we didn't know about at that time. Um, 
would you please share it? Because they need to know. When you think of the your donor offspring, do you imagine them to be a certain way? Like what characteristics, if you had to dream up, you know, who they are, what, what comes to mind? Do you think about that? Sometimes. I, I think it would be interesting to know if, well, one, if they look like me, that would be interesting to see what my babies could potentially look like. Uh, it would be interesting to see personality traits if they were goofy like me or if they were hard-headed or I don't know if they shared any particular interest that I had as a, a kid or even now. Uh, so I think that would be kind of interesting to see. Mm-hmm. What do you wish for them? There are also, um, by the way, uh, pregnant-ish, we, we intersect with all sides. Mm-hmm. So I just recently interviewed a 16-year-old wow. who's the offspring of an egg donor. Wow. Yeah. And she was so grateful. She said, I was so wanted. Look, I mean, this is one perspective. Mm-hmm. Look at how many people helped yeah, to get me into the world. Deal. Yeah. We had the doctors. We had the embryologists. We had the donor. We had my parents. But Everybody works so hard for me to, and I love that perspective because of course it's not always hunky dory. We hear other sides of mm-hmm. donation and children, especially who find out really late that they were the yeah. offspring of donors. Um, research shows that if children know kind of early on when they're four or five or six, it's much more helpful to, to make it normal and part of their family mm-hmm. story. Um, so this is a case of this teenager and she basically just had so many questions for her donor Mm -hmm. and is so curious and said, when I'm an adult and I'm allowed to reach out, I'm going to go on a genetic site and I'm going to see if we can reconnect. So yeah, this may happen. And if that happens, are you prepared for that? I think so. I I think that it would be very interesting uh, to know. I think I would be most interested to know how their parents discussed with them that they were born via egg donation. I I have some friends who have had to use donor egg, donor sperm, and they are struggling now wondering how are we going to bring this up? How are we going to talk about it? Because they are afraid to talk about it with friends and family now. Mm. But the the reality is that it's it's probably going to come up at some point. It should come up. I mean, the, the, the hardest part of unconventional paths to parenthood are these conversations sometimes. But we have to create the normal. I, I, before I went through gestational surrogacy, you know, my story was that I couldn't physically uh, keep a pregnancy. So I could, I could make healthy embryos, which we determined my eggs were healthy. My husband's sperm was healthy. We determined that through PGTA genetic testing, Mm -hmm. but my body was losing what looked like healthy embryos. And so my cousin, my first cousin, Alana, uh, who's my angel, carried my daughter Ariel and uh I'm forever grateful uh to to that but you know to her but before we were able to pursue surrogacy we had to go through counseling mm-hmm. and I know that happens with third party reproduction as well mm-hmm. you have to go through some kind of uh counseling right. uh, which is a really important step for everyone for those who don't know this process no one just becomes or just gets an egg mm-hmm. donor. There's a lot of not just paperwork, but emotional, financial, physical steps for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in the, in the counseling session, we were asked, how are you going to tell your daughter that you didn't carry her? And, you know, it's, for me, it's a source of pride that my cousin carried her. Again, she was so wanted. My perspective is, 
this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Science is amazing. Um, so I hope that that's how we normalize it. But I think the more shame we bring to these conversations, the harder it is for our children later. Mm-hmm. For those you know who are kind of secretive or uncomfortable with it, do you have words of wisdom for them? Gosh, um, it's hard for me to say because I'm I'm not walking quite in their shoes, mm-hmm. but I hope that they know that regardless of how they get to be parents, that that's the end game regardless of what they have to go through. Uh, the birth and pregnancy is such a small point. Uh, if you really think about it in your child's life and in your life. So however road you have to get there, you just do what you have to do. And I, that's kind of how I feel about myself right now. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> amazing, you know, having miscarriages and thinking about using an egg donor or going through IVF and genetic testing isn't what I thought my story would be, but the end game is to have a baby. So however I have to get there is what I'll have, what I'll do. I love so. that. I think that's a perfect end because <laughs> I always say you don't need to know the, the, the how, the when, the where, you just need to know the what, that you're going to be a parent. Right. And there's, Lord knows from pregnant-ish, there are so many paths to get there today. And we're in an era where there's a lot of help to get us there um, versus, you know, if we had infertility 50 years ago. So um, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on pregnant-ish and sharing your, your amazing story. Thank you. I'm happy to sit down with Amy Klein, who used to write a fertility or rather infertility column for the New York Times and has a new book out now called The Trying Game, all about this wacky process of trying to have a baby through reproductive technology and treatments. A full disclosure, I'm quoted in the book, both as founder of Pregnantish and as a relationship expert author. So uh, I've often said that infertility is the greatest and most underreported chapter of many modern day relationships. And I think Amy does a fabulous job in all her work and writing of uh, fertility, not just covering the medical side of it, but the lifestyle impact of treatments and uh, this process. So Amy, in your own words, who are you? Hi, um, (laughs) I'm a writer and a health journalist. And I've also been a reporter and worked a lot for Jewish report, Jewish newspapers and magazines. But and then I moved into health reporting. But no matter what kind of objective reporting I've done, I've always wrote written about what I was going through. So it could have been a dating call. I had a dating column when I worked for Los Angeles newspaper. I wrote about skydiving when I used to live in Israel for the Jerusalem Post. I did a story about beekeeping. So I've always found myself to be... <laughs> I feel like there are metaphors we, we can make like exactly. somewhat, like with skydiving and beekeeping and infertility, not that different. Exactly. <laughs> so I've always... um try to be a guide to to what I've been doing and use myself and my reporting skills as a guide mm-hmm. to that. And then when I started infertility treat when I started fertility treatment in 2011, there was so little information about that and I felt like I went into this crazy secret world that no one was talking about like a skull and crossbones like what is this place? This <laughs> clinic where women are lining up at 6 in the morning with dirty old magazine like dirty grubby <laughs> magazines and this private room my husband gets to go for his with the health- real dirty magazines. Exactly. Um and wh- why is nobody covering this in a mainstream manner? 
this is crazy. It's a crazy world. So that's how it all began. That's how what all began. You writing about this topic? I just started writing about it and sending it into the New York Times. And then the editor of Motherload at the time, KJ, called me and said, why don't we just do an infertility column? We'll follow you for like three to six months and then you'll turn it into a pregnancy column. Both of us being super naive. And I said, sure, I'll, you know, be pregnant in three to six months. And I was, but I, you know, kept having miscarriages and, you know, had 10 doctors in three countries with four miscarriages um, until I finally got pregnant with my daughter, who is four and a half years old now. But, um, you know, we, you know, I like 30 columns later. Um, three years and 30 columns later. And at a certain point, speaking of dating, I mean, here's something that is interesting. When I was writing a dating column, at first it was so interesting to me, but at a certain point, the dating column kind of got boring because it was like, either he likes me and I don't like him or I like him and he doesn't like me. And at a certain point, even the fertility part was like, okay, I thought I'd have X many eggs. I thought I'd have X many embryos. I thought this pregnancy would last and it's not. And it's kind of a game, not boring, but like it's from a literary perspective, what's the story here? It's the same story. So at a certain point, like I took a break from the comment. I said, you know what? I'll let you know. And then like, so I took a long break. And then when I, I think I was 20 weeks pregnant, announced it. Yeah. Um, announced it with an ultrasound picture. Or and then still like that was 20 weeks and that was pretty up to, you know, like cautious. And then. A month after I had the baby, I announced it in the, but yeah, so it's just kind of, you know, from a literary point of view, it's like, we, well, it's not a linear process. I, you know, a pregnantish was originally a book. I'm an author as well. And my agent, yeah. I gave her a manuscript, not a manuscript, but I gave her a book proposal because that's what you do. And right. as you know, in the nonfiction publishing world. And it was called Pregnantish. And then I, I lost a pregnancy and I said, I can't write right. this. And then the following year I lost pregnancy. I can't write this. And so I think those of us who write in real time about our fertility process, who aren't easily getting or staying pregnant, encounter that at some point. Then we're going to have to backtrack <laughs> because obviously this episode is on third party reproduction. Right. And, I'm- and, and, you know, I think, um, it's so important. We just spoke to Michelle who donated her eggs. Um, at what point did you even consider that as a, a, you know, as a possibility that you might need an egg donor and what was your next step there? I didn't start always the same way as everybody else. I got pregnant and lost a pregnancy and I got pregnant and lost that pregnancy again. And, um, then I started fertility treatment. So then I was on the usual path of IUI, IVF, and I lost, I lost, one or two IVF pregnancies. They kept telling me that it was my age and it was my eggs and that's why we weren't getting pregnant. But that wasn't true. I just didn't, um, I was 41 when I started mm-hmm. treatment and I had a genetically normal miscarriage at 41 because they were telling me that all my, um, pregnancies were due to my age. We decided, we always had a plan. My husband's Israeli and I'm a citizen and we always had a plan to go to Israel if it didn't work out here, especially because of finances. Why? It's, it's funded. It's free. So IVF is free for Israeli citizens under 45 year old women for the first two children. So we went to Israel to do, um, genetic testing on the embryos. And when we went to Israel to look at, um, testing and to look at doctors and to talk to them, 
the doctor that we ended up going with, she said to me, you know, I asked the question, is it time to do donor eggs? And she said to me, it depends. Do you need to be pregnant now or do you want to keep trying? Because I, I think I, you know, like every new doctor, she said, I think I could get you pregnant. You know, your numbers are not so bad. I think I could get you pregnant. Um, mm. So it was, she said, is, do you, if you need to be pregnant right now or do you want to keep trying with your own eggs? And I really never thought I would move on to donor eggs. I just kept that shining belief that it would work out for me. What did you know about donor eggs when she brought that up to you? Had you met anyone who had used them? Had you heard much about it? I didn't really know that much about it. I knew that at one of my clinics, there was a doctor who had a reputation for always telling everyone to move on to donor eggs. I knew of it as this like plan B and not really plan B. I can't call it plan B because we were already up to plan D already, you know, like... (laughs) Right. It's not um, the next step when you're on step 600. Exactly. Yeah. But let's just call it plan okay. B. Yep. And I knew it was kind of this fail safe or, okay, if it doesn't work out, we'll eventually move on to donor eggs. And I knew, I knew the mechanics that you were, um, using another woman's oocytes mm-hmm. and combining it with my husband's sperm and I would carry the baby. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't know much beyond that, and I didn't think much beyond that. At this point, it was, I guess, I, I think I was 42 or 43, and at this, 42, and my husband was fine to move on to donor eggs, and, cause he just didn't want to go through this roller coaster. And then when you hear this percentage, like I have a 5% chance of getting pregnant with my own eggs at 42 after this many tries, you know, you could plug yourself right. in. But with an egg donor, you with have. With an egg donor, you have, let's say a 50% chance, which sounds astronomical. Cause I don't even think, you know, most people have a 50% chance of, at fertility treatment. So 50% sounds like you're winning the lottery. So he was like, I'm all in. My husband and I made a plan and he's, you know, as you could tell, he's, you know, the calm one and also the <laughs> the math one, you know, the, the MBA, logical, the logical one. Um, left brain. Exactly. Maybe. <laughs> so, I mean, he is a musician. Yes. So it's not to paint him that way. Okay, he yes, is creative, yes. but he did get his MBA yep. in statistics. I call that things he might have mentioned to me while we were dating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, we had a plan and the plan was, you know, three cycles in the States because that's what we can afford. And then if it doesn't work out, go to Israel and three cycles in Israel, three retrievals to test eggs and then reevaluate for donor eggs. I just mm. never thought it would come to that. And we did, I think we did four cycles in Israel. We did it at retrievals and none of my eggs came back normal. Because you genetically tested genetically the embryos. The embryos. Yeah, none yeah. of my embryos. Sorry. Yeah, because we can't genetically test eggs, unfortunately. But yeah, so you tested with your husband's sperm fertilized embryos. Embryos. From yeah. four cycles. Yeah. And they came back abnormal. I just knew it was time to move on to donor eggs. Now, when the doctor, you know, that day could be like one of the worst days of my life in, or the worst day, I don't even know what the worst day is, but um, hopefully it's not to come. No, <laughs> but, but you mean in your fertility In my fertility journey, journey, there were pretty bad lows, but that one was because, you know, I was trying to be positive, trying to be upbeat. I was trying to hold on to my marriage. I was trying to stay sane. I was trying to, you know, I moved countries to do this. I left most of my friends and family. I do have some friends and family in Israel, but I left my routine 
and I, you know, what is it called when you bet the house? Well, you put your eggs in that basket. Exactly. I put my eggs <laughs> we in that were... basket. I bet the house on it and um I knew it was going to go okay, but it didn't. Mm. So I wasn't – I don't also, besides for PGT, I don't recommend relocating for a long time and losing your whole support system because, you know, the doctor looked at me in that room and she offered me a tissue and she was so kind and gentle, but she had changed her tune – you know, she didn't think she could get me pregnant anymore. And she also said mm. to me, I'm not going to say you have a 0% chance of having <sighs> a baby, but I'm going to say it's less than 1%. Oh, my gosh. But I'm willing to continue to try if you want. Oh, that's that's a hard thing to hear. It is. So at that point, what entered your mind? Truthfully, I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be pregnant and I wanted to go home. I mean, you know, you start this journey – and you don't – I guess any journey, you never know where you're going to end up. Like you're not going to be the same person that you started with. And when I started, I was never going to use donor eggs. I was going to get pregnant on my own, you know, and then you pass these things. I was not at home. I had no work. I was in a foreign you're country. hyper-hormonal. Hyper-hormonal. Is that why you had to keep your marriage together? What was happening? I just – I mean – I was always had my eye on my marriage, you know, because my mm-hmm. husband always liked to say, what's the point of fighting about things if there's no going to be, you know, what's the point of doing this if there's no us in the end? Mm-hmm. So, you know, sitting in that doctor's office when she said that zero, one percent to zero percent, I didn't want to do it anymore. It became, you know, I was losing my mind a little bit. And the next thing on the list and the checkoff list to have a baby was donor eggs. So I just Okay, so take me there. So now you're like, this is our next step. What happened next? I put in, I put in a call to one of the doctors who I knew, who I had interviewed the year before when we were just interviewing doctors for regular treatment. And I knew that he was an expert in donor eggs. I knew he did it in Israel. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I went with, um, my doctor was, I knew he took over the clinic and he just, did all the retrievals and he did everything there. And, um, you felt comforted with that. I felt comforted with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Did you, um, what did you know about the egg donors that he worked with? So here's the good part and the bad part. They thought, and maybe, I don't know still, but they think of it very differently there than they do here. And, um, they did not – the nurse yelled at me because <laughs> I said – I mean, of course, because it's an Israeli nurse. But I said to her, you know, they give you a checklist and they say, like, light or dark skin. And I'm like, maybe dark. And she's like, what are you talking about? They only have light skin. I'm like, why are you asking you me that? Me so then I said, can I can I do curly hair? And she's like, what do you think this is? You know, like, she's like, they're just going – so it's, it's – she basically what she yelled at me and we can t- – this is going to be part of my next book. Yeah. Um, she just said, what do you care? As long as the donor is psychologically healthy and physically healthy, that's all that matters. It's like a kidney. I did agree. I wanted someone who was healthy and of sign mind. And we had like a basic profile, like her age, her profession, her blood type, which is important medically, um, height, weight. My first donor egg pregnancy, I got pregnant and I stayed in Israel. And at six weeks, mm. I miscarried. I didn't miscarry. It was a blighted ovum. Mm. And this is not a straight donor egg story, but I don't know if any donor egg stories are straight. 
And when I had that miscarriage, that was a pretty low um, point in my life. Of course. Because this was plan B. It was supposed to be your guaranteed, but 50% chance of pregnancy is also 50% chance of failure. To have that donor egg fail, and I know people don't talk about it that much, but your promise that this is, you know, you finally, I mean, imagine if I had gone through a year of getting myself ready for a donor egg and that failed too. But maybe there's a lesson in there not to get too attached to the donor, actually, especially if it's d- didn't work the first time. And that was the only one you could imagine being your donor. You know, you talk to donor egg agencies and you talk to donor, and they're, they say, well, you know, here, even in America, when there's so much information and they say, um, sure, I can give you an Ivy League graduate who's, you know, 5'10", but maybe who knows if she even wants to donate her eggs. It's just like dating. I mean, really. I mean, a lot of people who use, you know, I have a friend who's a sperm donor. She said it reminds her a lot of dating. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We talk about that a lot at Pregnanish because it's dating on steroids. I mean, you're finding – Why do we date? We date to find – I mean, it's hard for infertile people to – to think about this, but truly the courtship process is exchanging genetic material and, you know, cues to see if we're compatible. That's right. what dating is. <laughs> so um, kissing cues and all of this is, is an exchange of that. And so there's something really interesting about bypassing that step, going straight to the profiles and selecting a future uh, donor parent. When I didn't know if it was my egg or my body, and then we learned it was my my body, um, I was looking through egg donor profiles. And I remember feeling like, oh my goodness, I am the most picky man. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, like, I don't like that she said that. I don't like that. You know, I was so judgmental um, with all the information I was presented. And I'm not like that in quote unquote real life. Like right. I'm pretty open, not judge, super judgmental. I love all shapes and sizes. But you are very picky with your husband. Let's just say that. Right? Uh, <laughs> well, I did write a book called He's Just Not Your Type. And right, that's okay. a good thing. So I'm not all about, you know, things have to go one way. But when you're asked to select an egg donor, and I know you've been through this, and I went through it when I didn't know if I needed one, you know, weird things come up, like what you need, what you're looking for. Right. What What else did you think you were looking for? Well, one of the things that I had wish I known, even from just physical, physical, um, was you focus on you know hair color and eye color and skin color, but what you really should focus on is shape of the face. Oh, why, why is that? That's because that's how people look alike. And there are actually some new companies who do facial recognition for donors and they do points on the donors, like mm-hmm. facial structure. Because when you see, oh, someone looks like you, it's not always about their eye color and their hair color. It's usually like the my shape. It's the shape of the face and the bone structure and the chin. So, and there are companies that do that. So this is going to be crazy and, a few years, you know. Um, so that's what I recommend to people. And I also, re- you know, I say that there are some friends of mine that I know who, like, could be grandparents with the amount of time that they're taking to do a donor. And I think that's with everything in life, you know. I think this called a sufficer, like someone who gets enough information to make a decision or someone who needs all the information in the world mm-hmm. to make the best. Mm-hmm. There is no best. You know, you go with uh, a donor agency you like. You go with someone that you trust that is getting top information, you go with what you can afford, you know, whether fresh. Maybe you go with your gut a little bit, right? right? Of course. It's not for everyone. Who do you think it's not for? Some people 
feel bad that they don't get to use their own genetics and their husband does. That's a thing. And um, they might want to use a donor embryo. Um, or they might want to adopt because that way neither of them have genetics exactly. in the game. So, um, I did start looking into research about donor egg babies and I did write a, like a 3000 word story that I think I submitted when I went into the hospital. The article was called Why Are Donor Eggs So Taboo? And, um, I why, did, why are they so taboo? Well, you know, people talk readily about their surrogates and some people have to talk about, they're a sperm donor if they're a single mom and, you know, but I think this country is obsessed with genetics. It seems weird. You know, people don't understand what donor eggs are. Have any celebrities come out with egg donor stories? I, you know, I open each chapter of my book with a celebrity, um, like from Kim Kardashian to... Who used a surrogate. <laughs> right, exactly. From Kim Kardashian to... um Gabrielle Union, who had multiple miscarriages, and I searched and I searched. I found this one Australian TV presenter who's, I don't know if that's considered a celebrity, who yeah. admitted it. But most people don't, celebrities don't talk about it. And right. I just, I, I wrote a story recently, you know, Cameron had, Cameron Diaz had a baby at 47 or 48, and I wrote It's None of Our Business about how she had the baby. Um but I, I know both sides. Yeah, because it's none of our business. And yet there's a misconception when we see Halle Berry, Cameron Diaz, all these people who are nearing 50. And Janet with baby, Jackson. Right. With, with baby bumps and babies thinking, oh, that can be me at 50. That that can be really like misleading. It can be really misleading. But let me tell you something. When I finally decided to announce my pregnancy in The New York Times – I suddenly didn't want to talk about having being pregnant with a donor egg. And mm. my editor, I actually almost didn't announce it, which would have been weird because I'd been writing 30 <laughs> columns and it would be weird that I finally had a baby. Right. But all of a sudden there was this person and it wasn't – I mean she wasn't even a person yet. She was 20 weeks. But, you know, she was almost viable. And um, how can I give away her story when she doesn't even know her story? And I had – so I have sympathy for every person who doesn't want to tell the whole world. So let's talk about that. Um, when you do tell your daughter's adorable, uh, you know, I see we follow each other and I see the pictures and the joy she brings your family and she's so cute. And um, she's so me. Every, she told me today she's going to have a book party for me at home since we can't go out that much. Oh, that's so thoughtful. Yeah. Um, well, so when are you going to tell her? What are you going to tell her or have you told her yet? I've dropped some things. I've said some things, but I haven't been able to yet. But I just am actually waiting for a book in the mail to talk to her about it. I did talk about it when she was a little baby. But, you know, people always say there's a difference between secrecy and privacy. And it's not a secret. For my husband, it's a non-issue. Like, he's just, it's a, he doesn't think about it. And if I were not in this field and writing a book about it, and I had just... If I had gone to Israel and had that donor egg transferred, I don't know that I would have thought about it that much mm. if I weren't on 15 different fertility groups. Um, and if, you know, but things are changing and people want to know their genetic origins. And I don't want her to find out when she's 15 and she discovers 
you know, that she has what's called diblings, which is like the donor, donor siblings. siblings. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to tell, you know, I, I have spoken to her a little bit about a mommy needed help because it's so hard. Then you have, first you have to explain IVF mommy needed help. I say the doctor helped me. Yeah. And then I had a nice person who came and helped me. And that's how, you know, that's we were the talking origin. About it. That's the beginning of her story, which I think is just such a good message. We were talking about this before, but. Um, we've talked about it a lot on Pregnish. Well, what a good message to children that you were so wanted that so many people helped you uh, come into this world. Right. So um, at your lowest point, at which maybe was, uh, it sounds like in Israel when the fourth cycle failed and you had gone through so much loss and so many treatments and this was your plan, at your lowest point, what would you tell Amy today? I would say you're going to have a family. You're going to have this amazing, wonderful daughter. And even though you're sad that you didn't get to use her, you know, your own eggs, she, you would never trade her for anything. Like if someone came to me now and did this time machine, okay, you can have your own eggs, but a different kid, I wouldn't, you know, she's perfect. Amy, thanks so much for shedding light on your experience personally with infertility and egg donation and sharing everything about, uh, you know, the journey for others through your work as a journalist in the trying game. Thank you so much. So thanks again for listening to the Pregnantish podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends, tell your family, your neighbors. Uh, we definitely want to keep telling the stories of modern family building and people who defied the odds to become families. Uh, this is a trend that's growing. It's not going away. And when science and technology intersects with family, well, we have some really amazing stories to be told. Thanks for tuning in.